Survive or Flop, a podcast for the best and worst historical fiction has to offer. I'm your host, Grace. And I'm Erin, and each week we'll be reading a different historical fiction book to see if they're a five or a flop. Our theme for season one is reading around the world, so we're hitting two countries per continent. This week we're back in South America for the slightly secret country of Chile. You'll see what that means in a minute. And we're reading Violetta by Isabel Allende. Yes, and before we get started talking about the book, Grace, what's new with you? It's New Year's. I'm living the New Year, New Me lifestyle. I love to do fun New Year's resolutions. Okay. Uh, this year, after a, yet another extremely embarrassing Spotify route, oh God. I've decided I'm going to listen to more music. So I've decided every month I'm going to listen to at least one new album. Okay. I've already done it for this month. I never ended up listening to Guts, um, oh, Olivia I like Rodrigo's Guts. second okay. album. Throwback. Yeah. And I enjoyed it a lot. Actually, my pop – actually, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, so I'm not going to say if it is or isn't. <laughs> um, but I think that the songs that are less popular on that album are the better ones. I think that's true for a lot of albums, though. I don't know. I Sometimes the cream rises to the top. Okay. I don't know. Fair. I'll say my favorite song is Logical. I like Logical. Did you like the little cameo on Percy Jackson? <laughs> That was very funny to me. That um, I had to pause the episode so I could giggle. Why is Percy Jackson's mom listening to Olivia Rodrigo? Like, I'm not complaining, but I would like to know why. It was like, I hate when there are some things that are, like, too modern thrown. Like, oh, my God. It, <laughs> like, pop culture references in books. I hate that. Like, how the Mean Girls movie musical is set during today and not during, like, 2005. Yeah. I don't know. Um, what about you? What era are you in? I'm in my board game era. That's my you favorite well era. Currently in Grace's house, Santiago and I have a stack of board games in the living room. We got so many for Christmas. It's like eight board games. Stack is like not selling it short. It's a stack. Grace and I, and amongst other friends, are currently in the middle of a game of Risk, where we had to take – we were getting too sleepy, so we had to take a picture of the board so we can set it up again later. I, I'm a Risk newbie. I've never played Risk Me before. Either. Nope. None of us in this group have played Risk. I'm not a huge fan. I don't love Risk. Well, that's because you're not winning. Well, yeah, but also it's about fighting, and I don't like war. Well, Grace is a big fan, as am I, of the game Viticulture, where you can have <laughs> – this is a Viticulture stand podcast. Um, You can create your own vineyard. So if you haven't looked into this game, you really should. It's really confusing, and some of you may hate it. Viticulture is very fun. A lot of our friends are Viticulture haters. I can't relate. Well, I can relate because I like Viticulture. I am a hater of the Viticulture expansion pack, which we have also played. That's fair. I love the expansion pack. (laughs) I just like playing regular Viticulture. The expansion pack turns it from an hour game into a four-hour game. It's so long. Like, when they say expansion, they mean that so literally. Grace, are you currently reading anything good? Not at the moment. Well, I'm reading something right now that I'm not going to talk about yet because it is for the pod. You will hear about it soon. Mm -hmm. However, I am gearing up for my yearly trip with my mom in February to go to the Savannah Book Festival. I forgot that was coming. It's coming up. They've just released the schedule. Um, But this year we're going to the opening speaker, who is Ruth Ware, writer of very popular books that I have never read. So I put zero days on hold, and when I read it, I will report back to you all how good or how five or flop I think it was. Okay, yeah, I haven't read any of her books. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Yeah, I'll have the all the info for you after President's Day weekend. Hopefully this year we can go to the um, National Book Festival here in DC. Yes, we, we were missed able it to go last, last year. year. And the author of Pretty Little Liars was there. Oh my so god. Devastating blow. Sarah Shepard. I reread all of them during COVID lockdown and I had read the original ones and then she wrote like the four extra. Mm-hmm. I loved the extra ones. They were messy. Okay. Good for her. 
Yeah. All right. So hopefully someone just as good comes this year. Like maybe the lady who wrote The Click will show up. Oh my, I would, Lisey Harrison, I am your number one fan. Lisey Harrison <laughs> got me into writing and reading. There is already a Click podcast, so we won't like take your gig. However, but... should we co-host The Click podcast? Well, I think listen. they actually finished a lot of it and are now onto like other books of that ilk. Okay. Well, also... If we just make sure Fiverr Flop is very long-running and successful, in 20 years, the click will be historical fiction. <laughs> that is so true. So don't worry. Just wait. Just bide your time. Right now, I'm reading The Guest List, which I've heard really good things about by Lucy Foley. Okay. It's basically – it's kind of like a thriller. I'm, I'm like two chapters in. It's like basically a combined guest list at a wedding – and someone murdered someone. Oh, okay. So I like excited. a thriller. Yeah. I like a thriller in the same way that I like a romance. I already talk about how I read a lot of romance, but I feel like a thriller is kind of the same where like a lot of them are flops. Well, a lot of them are bad. A lot of them are like amazing, but most of them are just like you pick them up and they do the job, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So no, I like a thriller. I respect, I respect them for that. So something that's not a thriller, but was a thrilling read was Violetta, which I'm going to get into the synopsis of right now. All right. Hit me. Violetta comes into the world on a stormy day in 1920, which pause, they actually say that line in the book. I came into into the world on a stormy day and I really hated that. That it started the synopsis and also was in chapter one of the book. Anyways, Ooh. Violetta comes into the world on a stormy day in 1920, the first girl in a family with five boisterous sons. From the start, her life is marked by extraordinary events, for the ripples of the Great War are still being felt, even as the Spanish flu arrives on the shores of her South American homeland almost at the moment of her birth. Through her father's prescience, the family will come through that crisis unscathed, only to face a new one as the Great Depression transforms the genteel city life she has known. Her family loses everything and is forced to retreat to a wild and beautiful but remote part of the country. There she will come of age and her first suitor will come calling. She tells her story in the form of a letter to someone she loves above all others, recounting times of devastating heartbreak and passionate affairs, poverty and wealth, terrible loss and immense joy. Her life is shaped by some of the most important events of history, the fight for women's rights, the rise and fall of tyrants, and ultimately not one, but two pandemics. Through the eyes of a woman whose unforgettable passion, determination, and sense of humor carry her through a lifetime of upheaval, the author once more brings us an epic that is both fiercely inspiring and deeply emotional. Let's get into our awesome awesome author, Isabel Allende. Who is like the, I think, other than maybe Paulo Coelho, is the most like well-known and well-regarded author that is going to be on this season. She's a Chilean author born in Peru because her father was a Chilean ambassador to Peru. Slay. Um, she's authored more than 26 books, and she is currently the world's most widely le- read living Spanish language author. That's crazy so, yeah. as a stat. Isabel, you're doing great. Her first book was written while she was in exile in Venezuela during the Chilean military coup, which comes into play during Violetta. Also crazy. Um, That book was The House of Spirits, which started as a letter to her dying grandmother. So it's interesting that this letter trend seems to kind of continue throughout her work. Okay. I love that. I love an epistolary novel. So anyways, I have not read anything else by this author. However, a bunch of her books are now on my TBR list, if that's going to show you how I feel about Violetta. We have positive things to say about Violetta. Yes. In fact, this episode maybe won't be very long because like, you know that saying, happy families are all alike, unhappy families are different in their own special way. I feel like it's easier to talk about bad things than good things. I've never heard that saying, but it makes sense. Also, we're on a time crunch because the library um, pushed down the recording time slots from... 
three hours to two hours, and we usually take two and a half hours to record two episodes. So. And we had some technical difficulties today that we resolved um, so that you don't have to hear about it, but it took up a lot of our time. Yeah, we, we girl paused really hard. First off, let's give our usual disclaimer that our judgments come based on the book and the characters within them rather than any real historical figures they may be based on. And this book does pull a lot from the author's own life, so that will come up again. Yeah, so obviously we don't know about Isabella Allende's mother as like a historical figure, but we're reflecting on the characters and not like the choices that Isabella Allende's mother inspired. No, she, she's her own woman. She can do whatever she wants. Yes. Um, also, there will be spoilers in this one. Yes. And we recommend that you read these books before listening to the podcast episodes unless you know that you never will. Yeah. So there you go. Especially for this one, I would read it. But anyways, Grace, you want to get us started? Yes. The prose was so good. That was the best part of it for me. Or actually, I guess there were a lot of best parts. The prose was so good, even immediately. Like, the framing device of the book is that Violetta, she was born in 1920 in Chile, and she died in 2020. And she's writing the letter of her life to someone that she loves very much. And she starts... And it's later revealed that this is her grandson. Yes. That's not, like, a huge reveal. It doesn't need to be. I thought it was going to be her lover. <laughs> for like the whole book and then it's like and then you were born and I was like oh shit yeah no because she says like I'm writing this letter to um, the person that I have loved the most in the world so Which you know so that sweet. it's the yeah it was really sweet but even from the very beginning when she's writing about like her childhood years the first two pages she paints a portrait Violetta paints a portrait of her mother that is so like brief and yet I know everything I need to know about that woman. Yes. Like the like the way that the characters just come to life on the page, every single one of them, no matter how much they appear, like I know what about them is important to Violetta. Mm-hmm. And it was so effective for me. Yeah. And one of the strengths of this novel for me was I think because we can compare it to a book where it really didn't work was the letter format. It was so much more powerful than in The Spy. Yes. Because we actually had a solid connection between the writer and the subject who she's writing to. Yes. Like, we knew – we don't know for a while that it's her grandson, but we knew it is the person she loves the most. Like, there is a reason she is dictating her story to this person. Yes, and it's because she knows that she's coming to the end of her life, and she knows that family history is very important. So she wants her grandson to know – all of these things about her and where she came from. Yeah, so this is basically a very high-level life story. And it was, I think, really the first book we've covered with a major focus on huge global events. Yeah, Like the Spanish flu, economic collapse, world wars, rather than just those smaller regions. Not saying that the regional events are less important. Like in Snowflower, it was very focused on that region. But this one is kind of... A much more big picture, not just in the sense of her life story, but also from that global worldview. Yeah. Honestly, I did not realize that until I saw that you had written that down. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so true. Yeah. All of our stories so far have been much more compact. And even like I would say the most otherwise spread out one that we have read before is Homegoing. Yes. But that has a, a broad focus geographically. And obviously we know how the transatlantic slave trade has impacted the whole world, Mm -hmm. but Homegoing's focus was not on the whole world. It was on these two countries and the the African diaspora, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, This book, it keeps most of its focus in Chile, although there is involvement from other countries. There's the United States, there's Norway, there's... Um, Cuba, the Cuban Revolution. Cuba. There's a little bit of Argentina, I Mm -hmm. think. But it's... You're right, we're getting all these broader 
events that ripple everywhere. Oh, yeah. Honestly, kind of like Forrest Gump. Like, that seems a like a silly bit. comparison, but it's giving Forrest a Gump. A little bit. Yeah, no. And I think that very strongly parallels how the book is a high overview of her life. For me, there wasn't one single, like, point where I'm like, this is the big plot point. It's her life story. It's basically – and there's some instances, and we'll get into that, are more impactful for the plot. But yes. it's very character-driven. That's, I think, actually maybe one of the most crucial things to the way that this book works because there are so many books that are a portrait of one person. Like we talked about, the on its surface, the layout of the spy is similar to this book. Yeah. But Violetta, all of the characters are people, and they all are flawed. And you're not getting, like, a plot progression of, like, you know, set up, rising action, climax, falling action. It's not a constructed book. It's just showing the way that people live their lives. Like I noted here, there are characters that seem like on paper that they would be really important in someone's life that don't get a lot of emphasis. Um, Violetta is very close to her oldest brother, but not to her other brothers. Mm -hmm. And they like, they aren't even named in the book. Her other, I believe she's three or four other brothers and they're barely in it. And to me, you think like, well, why like, are you not writing about all these brothers? Like with a less talented author, you might think like, oh, she just cut them out. So she doesn't have to deal with them. Mm -hmm. But with Isabel Allende, you know, it's because not every person who is supposed to be important to you in your life is. Yeah. And you're getting – she talks about a brief moment in time where she goes to therapy with a doctor named Dr. Levy. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Levy is only there for like maybe 10 or so pages and then he's gone and doesn't come back. And you know he was really important to her life but not that he needs to stick around in her whole narrative. Yeah, no. And people are important for different moments of time. Like you'll see someone really flare up in the beginning and then kind of taper down, which I think Josephine who was – Kind of like her nanny and tutor is a good example because when Violetta's young, Josephine is a much more present influence as opposed to when she's older. Yes. And then there's like a bit in the middle where you don't hear a lot from Josephine because Violetta is an adult and she doesn't need to uh, governess anymore. And then there's a point later on where Josephine comes a bit back into the story because she eventually marries Violetta's oldest brother. Mm -hmm. So it's this way that people come in and out of their lives. Like when Violetta is young and she lives on the farm and she has these two teachers that kind of ride around and come to people's homes, Mm -hmm. they are very important to the story when Violetta is young and then you don't hear about them for a while. And then at a later point in the story, Violetta mentions that they have passed away. So it's this – it's very realistic how these people touch your life and come in and out of it. Mm -hmm. And then there are some people – who are bad in your life and who stay around for too long, such as the uh, lover you leave your husband for. <laughs> my enemy. He – and that's one of the other things that I liked about this book is that – He was a really good character too. He was a really good character. So Violetta is married to this like boring German guy for like three years. Yes, because this is also around the end of World War II where a lot of – um Germans are in Chile for no reason. Yeah, Don't worry. Nazis kind of came to the area. So it does Her have husband's some not a Nazi. Don't worry about it. It does have some interesting themes of like that tension as well. Yeah. Um, but she's married to this German guy. And That's then fine. He's a vet. He's very neutral, extremely neutral. Um, and then she leaves him for the pilot, Julian Bravo. Who is like, you know, sexy and like, that's kind of it. And adventurous. Yeah. He's a really like vivid character. He's such a good character. And from the point where he showed up, 
even when Violetta is like at her peak of in love with him, you can kind of be like, this guy's bad news. Not, you know. So she's an unreliable narrator, not in the sense of like a literary device, but just in the sense of like, she's a even, even when we learn from our mistakes, because when Violetta is writing this and she's like 95, she knows that Julian Bravo was bad news. And she still looks back like and reminisces fondly because you also don't really want to own up to all your mistakes. Yeah. So like you can come to terms with your mistakes, but you will never be able to see them the way that someone else can. And that just these touches that make this so real is so that's what envelops you in the story and in these characters. They feel so real. And And that's what gives it the opposite effect to the spy. Yes. The characters, like, I want to spend more time with them. I will say the book dragged for me in some spots. Like, I thought there was some attention paid to different aspects of her life that kind of slowed it down. Mm -hmm. There was, like, a lot on her childhood I thought could have been sped up. Yes. I, I, I will say whenever I read stuff, or, like, watch movies, like, anything that's, like, a person's whole life. If I ever go back to it later, I, like, want to skip the childhood parts. Like, yeah. it's never as interesting. Like, just because being a child is not as interesting as being a grown-up. Yeah. And, I mean, I understand it because it's she's telling her life story. So she's determining, as she's telling her grandson, which parts of her life are important to tell. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. It dragged a little bit, but... Not necessarily in a bad way, just mm-hmm. in like, a, this isn't what I would focus on. Well, also, the early section of the book is like planting a lot of seeds that you don't know are going to come back later. Like the early part of the book spends a lot of time on uh, Violetta's father, who is not a big presence in the rest of the book because, spoilers, when the depression hits, he commits suicide because he's lost all of the family's money. But he talks a lot about planes and aviation and investing his money in aviation because this is like right at the cusp of like before that becomes a viable Mm -hmm. commercial enterprise so they kind of think it's he's like why everyone's like why is he doing that yeah like that's a silly idea planes will never take off pun intended but then violetta says like in her letter that she's writing like and later like i would make part of this dream come true for my father so she's planting seeds like She's talking about the character of Torito, who Mm -hmm. comes back later and is, like, a really big presence in, like, the middle and the end of the book. It's, like, stuff that she's presenting to you and not activating yet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is present in the beginning of the book. And I think that's really well done. Um, Another aspect, and this kind of leads into probably, like, how we come to know who – Camilio is and her children. Um, She has two children with Julian Bravo, Juan Martin and Nieves, her daughter. Mm -hmm. And then Julian Bravo makes her get her tubes tied. Yes. So then that's kind of the first hint that, okay, Camilio isn't her son. He's not a lover. So who is he? Yes. And this builds up to the tension with her two children. So should we start with Juan Martin, her son? Yes. She has complicated relationships with both of her children. Yes. Um, And they do evolve, well, over different amounts of time, let's say. Basically, she and Julian Bravo each kind of had, like, they had two children together, but each of them had one, essentially. Yeah. And Violetta's was her son, Juan Martin, because he was not, like, the swaggering, drinking, tough guy that the father wanted. Yeah, he was, like, a sensitive philosophy reading. Yes. So he goes to school, becomes an academic, and I'm going to kind of give just a broad overview of his life. We don't need a whole detail. During, like, the military coups in Chile, that kind of thing, he is basically put on, like, a hit list by the government. And so he is eventually smuggled out of the country and goes to live in Norway. Yes. And he never comes back. 
Like, no. he comes back to visit, but he lives in Norway for the rest of With his, his life. With his He has a family there. Yes. And then the daughter. <laughs> she is much more very strong-headed. She kind of – Nieves kind of reminded me of when Violetta, Violetta was describing her own childhood. Yes. That strong-willed – but Julian Bravo kind of fed into that. And she eventually went to the United States with him in Miami and got very addicted to drugs. Yes. And this was a story that there were hints of this and we never got anything concrete. But there were – Nieves runs away from her father and says, like, I won't see him. I won't take his money. I won't have anything to do with him. And there were hints of sexual inappropriateness. Yeah, sexual assault. And, yes. Yeah. And I'm not sure that she was imp- – that the book was supposed to be implying that that did happen. But I wonder if it it was implying that Nieves worried that it would. It leaves it very open to interpretation. The hints are, for the most part, very sparse. Yes. But you know that she's a very troubled, troubled young woman. Yeah. So eventually she goes to the West Coast. Um, She's still battling her addiction. I think she does eventually become clean from it. Yes. She's clean while she is pregnant. While she is pregnant, yes. And then with Violetta, Violetta hunts her down, is able to be with her, but then she dies during childbirth. Yes. She has eclampsia, which is something that I feel like we know about now. Mm-hmm. I don't know when our knowledge of eclampsia became yeah. what it is or how to prevent it because it's still very tricky to prevent eclampsia. That's how we are introduced to Camilo, who is the recipient of Violetta's letter. Yes. And he has a son. Um, Violetta eventually takes custody of him, takes care of him, raises she, him. Yes. He goes on to become a priest. Yes. So she's his grandmother, but she raises him as his mother because his mother is dead and he does not know who his father is. Yeah. One of Violetta's lovers, who is the American Roy Cooper, he works as like a fixer for Julian Bravo. Yeah, he's kind of like a PI. Yeah, but he's like a good – he's a man with a heart of gold. He wants up – Getting away from Julian Bravo. Yes. He cuts ties with Julian Bravo. He gives um, – he puts his own name on Camilo's birth certificate so that Violetta is able to take him out of the country. Yeah. Because otherwise he would have to go through the foster care system yeah. in America. Because he didn't have any parents. Because he did not – yes. Because both and of his parents were And she wasn't a citizen. Deceased. Yes. So he says, I will put my name on his birth certificate as his father. I will give you permission to take him to Chile and you can take him to yeah. Chile. She has sort of – Four loves, I would say, like, three great loves of her life because she didn't really like that German guy that much. Yeah, he was really into her. Yeah. He was obsessed with her. But she married him and left him for Julian Bravo. And then eventually they – honestly, for most of the part – or not most, maybe half of the time that Julian Bravo is in the book, he is not together with Violetta. But they're very enmeshed in each other's lives almost up until his death. Yeah. Which is, like, I guess, you know, that's what happens when you have children with someone. But also she talks about, like, they just have that magnetism always. Yes. She says, like, she had to stay away from him even when he was, like, beating her and being vile to her because she knew she would just, like, go back right back in. Um, And then she later in life falls in love with uh, a Norwegian man who is some kind of ambassador. Oh, yeah. Happy, like. He just wanted to be a bird watcher. Yeah. Passionate bird watcher. Just like a nice – I forgot about him until you just now said this. Yeah. Well, because he didn't really do anything other than just like be with her and make her happy. Yeah. He wasn't a plot point. He just was, again, just like a person that exists in your life, Mm -hmm. you know? Like I think a lot of people have, you know, experience with like maybe a grandparent dies and then the other grandparent gets like an old boyfriend or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, just because you're getting older doesn't mean your life is over. And the bulk of this book, like, a lot of the action of it – 
is after Violetta is 50. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. And um, then, like you said, she kind of follows that trend that, that Isabel Allende set in her real life, which is, like, becoming more of a philanthropist, becoming more yes. socially aware through her relationship with her son, who's a communist. Um, and I think this leads into our two, like, I would say most important themes of the book. And we can yes. talk, talk about both of them. The first one being feminism versus traditional, like, machismo masculinity. Yes. And the second of which being that social socioeconomic pull. Yes. And so. I want to connect both of those themes back to Snowflower. Okay. Because we talked a lot about how we loved in that book how it was not about, like, women fighting to overthrow a system. It was about women living in the system. And I also loved about this book, Violetta is not socially aware until much later in her life because she's grown up with money and being taken care of. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed seeing someone not have that consciousness and then gain it. And so, like I said, much like the author, after Violetta's daughter passed, she opened up a charitable organization in her name um, to kind of give back. And as she became more aware of her socioeconomic status, she does become more of a philanthropist and give back more. And I had an interesting note that, quote from my notes, Okay. This is how you write someone guilty about social status, not like a land remembered. Boom! Where at the end of a land remembered, we had this whole fake-ass speech about, like, oh, you capitalists are terrible. I'm just going to ignore my role in it. No, I feel like Violetta really, like, takes on her role as her own. Yeah. And tries to rectify that. Yeah. She is not always in the right. Like, she has this big company that she runs. They're not paying people amazing wages all of the time. Mm -hmm. She tries to do some good with her money. She's running her foundation. And then she realizes, like, it's grown too big for her to just be, like, giving out money on her own. So she hires someone to run it. She... It's not a perfect journey, but it is an extremely organic journey. So yeah, I would agree. You're right. I appreciated it. Take that, Patrick D. Smith. Exactly. I mean, I know you're dead, so don't take that. You know. Yeah, rest in Sorry. peace, Patrick D. Smith. And then the other theme is feminism versus traditional machismo. Yes. We saw that a lot, I feel like, especially with Violetta's two children. Yes. Because they, the girl had the machismo, essentially. Yeah. Like, they kind of gender-swapped the personalities to what they wanted them to And be. a lot of why Julian Bravo hated his son was because he didn't have that. Yeah. And because he didn't, you know, want to abuse all the women in his life and drink all the time and, like, fly into war zones and, like, smuggle Nazis into the country Mm -hmm. and, like, blah, 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 blah. Which is all stuff Julian Bravo did. Julian Bravo wasn't a good person. No. But God, he was a good character. And it it does relate to, I feel, Snowflower as well, like you had said, because – so in this book, a big feature of some of the side characters, like Josephine and essentially her lesbian partner, Mm -hmm. they're fighting for, like, women's rights in Chile – And it's interesting to see that active feminism versus, I feel, in Snowflower more, I don't want to say passive, but more like... They're not taking to the streets. No. They're taking in their own homes. It's like the idea in Snowflower, like, obey, 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 then do whatever you want. Yes. So it's like still taking that ownership. Yes. These are, I think, Snowflower and Violetta are two different ways to, I think, really competently address approaches to the same system. Yes. And I think that they both are executed very well. I agree. I think we have one last thing to talk about that's big before we go into the history. This book takes place in Chile. Why in this book is Chile not mentioned by name? She does not say that it's Chile. It's always our country. Our country. And And she mentions the city, which is Sacramento, 
which was a trip for me because I did not know Chile had a Sacramento. No. I, I, I checked while I was reading this. I had to Google like five times. I'm like, this book takes place in Chile, right? Like, yeah. I was just like not – I didn't want to like keep questioning myself. Yeah. I don't – I had to look it up also. I don't know. I will say, while I was reading it, I didn't like it. Now that I finished and now going back, I really did like it because it's a that lot she doesn't about, mention Chile? Yes. Because it's a lot about the changes in the country and how the country is going through, you know, revolutions, watching other countries go through revolutions, all of this, and still being – it's still our country. It's well, still patriotic. It's still the love of our country. And I think that's part of it because I did not – I tried not to do any research. I did look up one thing, which was very minor, so I don't think it's a problem. Mm-hmm. But in the back of my book, they had a little interview with Isabel Allende, and one of the questions was, why don't you say that it's Chile? And she said these things happen to most South American countries. Yeah. Specifically meaning the military dictatorship, but also, you know, the depression, the Spanish flu epidemic. Yep. The like, like we talked about, these are global issues. COVID. COVID. So she was like, it is Chile. And like, you can look it up if you want to, because she does talk about Sacramento. But she says that this is like, I wanted it to be universal. And it is like, we fixated on that right away. And I think this is a great transition into our historical accuracy and research section. Let's go. So I actually approached it a little different this week because of that. Okay. So because it doesn't really rely on specific historical events to move the plot, it's more about how her personal history connects to that world history. Uh-huh. I'm going to focus on that. But first, I do want to address just there's a couple big historical points that are mentioned, and they're all, you know, pretty accurate. Okay, let's hit them. Cuban Revolution is super important because that's they're watching that happen in another country. The Chilean dictatorship, the military coup, and communism, um, where, like, her son was persecuted, all of that is very accurate. During the coup in Chile, many communists were disappeared or forced into exile, like her son. Boo. So all of that, that big picture stuff that's just kind of touched on briefly in the book. In is, the sense that it relates to Violetta's life. Yes. Touched on briefly in the sense that it's just a factor in her life. All of that, for the most part, accurate. But where the history really comes into this book is that so much is based on the author's life. So a lot of it is based on the author's mother, mother, who was born during the 1920 Spanish flu and did die during the 2020s COVID oh, wow. epidemic. Okay. So the author, I read an interview and she was saying how like she had a hard time coping with her mother's death. And then mm-hmm. one of her friends suggested, why don't you try writing about it? Aww. And she wasn't emotionally able to, which understandably for quite a bit. And Do then- you know when she died? I don't know exactly. Okay. Well, recently, uh, if it was during the COVID pandemic. I don't believe it was from COVID. I okay. believe I read that. I don't. Well, if I she was a hundred, yeah, it was just at that you know, point. You know, she just—it's like my grandpa passed during COVID. It wasn't COVID, you know. Yeah. But so eventually, she was able to write about it um, from an emotional standpoint. That's where Violetta came from. So the character of Camelio was inspired by both a priest friend and the author's son. So it's oh, kind of a combo. And combo many character. Of the anecdotes about Camelio are completely true and based on her son. <gasps> he did um, some crazy shit. One good example is when he made his first communion and then came home and was said he didn't believe in God and didn't want to go to church anymore. <laughs> I don't know if her I, – I'm assuming her son is not a priest because it's also based on her priest friend. Yeah. But Nieves also partly inspired by her author – by the author's daughter who died young in her 20s. I don't – I feel like it's not really my place to be like, what killed her daughter? You know, I'm not going to look into that. It doesn't really matter what killed Nieves either. It's just about that her life was short and tragic. But then Isabel Allende did create a philanthropy organization in her daughter's name afterwards. So that aspect of the book was true as well. Okay, that's lovely. So I do think it's important, at least from my reading of it, the historical accuracy section of this is important to me, not of those big 
global events so much because that's not really as important to Violetta's life. It's the inspirations and the people in her life. Yes. So I hope you don't mind and I hope the listeners don't mind that I took this historical accuracy section a bit differently than usual. Well, also I think that all of the information that we get about those big historical events, I don't think it's necessarily stuff that we need to look up. No. Because we're not getting like a detailed treatise in Violetta about the Spanish flu epidemic and how it spread. No, We're just getting – we just get told that it's happening. It's very much – We just are like – it's not elaborate and so we don't need to elaborate on it. And I don't think you need to because it's from a person's point of view where it's like if you and I are talking about our lives during COVID, we would know the con- the context that's going to be in the stories we tell is only going to be what's important to our personal stories. Yes, Which I feel like how this book is. And again, so interesting that this is the first book we've read that's really like that. Yeah. Wow. I think with that, we can move on to our star calculator. Okay. Uh, Created by data scientist Ashley, we rank our books in five categories, historical accuracy, vibes, prose, originality, and characters. Grace, if you want to get us started. Yeah. And I'll be very brief. Five. Five are all around. Fives across the board. This is the fiveiest book that we've read so far, I think, for me. I loved this book so much. I, I was so happy to read this book. Yeah. Fives in every category. I will say I gave it a five except for prose, which I gave it a four just because I thought it kind of dragged in some spots for me. Like I wanted Fair. a little less on her childhood and a little more elsewhere. But 4.8, that's still a five. That's crazy high. Yeah. So on the five or flop scale, five. Five. We definitely. have not had a five for a while. I think we've I had think a lot of going. Books was the last one? We had Homegoing and we had Snowflower. And then I think we've had a lot of books since then that we were like, oh, this is like – I liked it. Just under five. Like yeah. it's really good, but it's not a five. Like Violetta is another addition to our five This is a hard five. Category. Yeah. Yes. I loved Violetta. Incredible book. I loved it. That's all I have to say. All right. Well, we hope that what we read next week will be as good as Violetta – Erin, what are we reading next week? We are reading Kintu, and I'm going to apologize in advance for my pronunciation of the author's name. Kintu by Jennifer Nansubuga Makumbi. So that will be taking us to Africa. Yes, to specifically to Uganda. <laughs> and I think what I got from the preface of this book, if you are Ugandan, you knew that. This is yeah. apparently a very famous Ugandan book. Yes. Um, it's a very well-known book. So I'm looking forward to talking about that with you. And until then, you can follow us on social media. Our Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are all Fiverflop underscore pod. And you can join our season one story graph reading challenge for reading around the world. Yes. And if you have any books you want us to read in a future season, go ahead and fill out that recommendation form in our bio and we will give it a serious consideration. Absolutely. Or if you have any questions, um, anything you want us to talk about, shoot us an email, fiverfloppodcast at gmail.com. If you're the author of any of these books and would like to come on, mine is Patrick D. Smith, who has passed away. We would love to have you. And if you're Patrick D. Smith's ghost, we would like to have you even more. Honestly, I would knock off any author to talk to a ghost. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Until next time, or until we meet a ghost, happy reading. Happy reading.